Hello and welcome to Strategic Blue's new podcast, What's New in Cloud FinOps? With myself, Stephen Old, and my friend and colleague, Franck Montrepois. Always said in such a cool way. There's no way of saying Stephen Old in, in anywhere near that kind of, uh, that vavavoom way. Like I said, my Steve Old. I am the head of business acquisition here. I've got uh, Strategic Blue. I've got a, a background in, uh, in cloud transformation, running hotels, and being a chef. And uh, hello, I'm Franck Contrepois, head of customer operation at Strategic Blue. My background is very much on tech, tech, and some tech. <laughs> Fantastic. So what we're looking to do in this podcast is talk you through what we think has been interesting in the last month um, within the major cloud providers. Uh, the news will, will vary month to month based on who's released the most interesting things related to FinOps. And then we'll talk a little bit about a subject that myself and Frank find interesting today that will be why the cloud providers price in the way they do um, but frank do you want to start us off with uh, the first bit of news that we found in the last month yes absolutely so aws continues to deliver new chips so, so chips or graviton chips which are very specific to them that custom made so the good thing it is that they're cheaper than anything else the bad thing is they're not intel compatible which means that if you're using anything which only runs on intel it's not going to work so look out for that, but uh, might be very easy for you if you are a very tech-driven company to move to Graviton, and might be extremely hard if you're using any um, type of third-party software. Yeah, proprietary stuff. It's it's interesting to see that whole move that we had away from x86, sorry, onto x86, away from you know all sorts of different variants, and now we're going back that way um, to these ones, which which are the the ARM. Um, chips aren't they and and not that long after the launch of the amd chips which saw a, a cost reduction but this is even even cheaper than than those isn't it yes and you also and the interesting also is uh, a arm is getting very famous because also apple, apple announced that they will be using arm now as their standard default processors so there yeah. is really a shift again into a split world of x86 and the rest like it was before as usual it's it goes, goes <laughs> wide <cycles>. and <laughs> yeah yeah and and i think you know like you say if people have got um you know self-built applications or stacks then you know if they're, they're in an infrastructure's code world they could really find some some easy changes because they're just changing the the instance type really um, and deploying, you know, some sort of Linux on, you know, Linux on there, and they, they have a great time, some great cost savings. But you know, there's going to be a good chunk of of organisations that, like you say, with third-party software, this just isn't going to be of interest to them or of use to them. Um, but you know, a lot of those tech-focused businesses out there could find even greater cost savings. Um, keeping on chips, Frank, I'm going to bring up the um, GCP. Uh, chips they've been out for a while but the you know more releases on the the n2 range um great great performance i mean the n1s were always good i thought always the the tech quality uh, from gcp was was brilliant the interesting thing here on a finops perspective is that they have changed the sustained usage discount down to 20 percent while it used to be 30 percent and i think 
this is to drive some behavior because when people had 30% and then, you know, I think the, um, the committed use discount. So we had sustained use discounts. So just keep it on for the entire month and you get 30% off and then committed use discount where it's a bit like savings plans or eyes where you commit to a, a, an amount of uh, CPU and RAM and, and you get a fixed discounted price. The gap just wasn't big enough. So everyone was using sustained usage and, and in all the deals I did in my previous role, I don't think anyone ever committed to usage from, um, from Google. So this is a way of trying to, I think, create the behaviors they want, which we'll talk more about in our, in our pricing later. Um, because there is a bigger gap now from the 20% that you get for just keeping it on, but it's still a great model, isn't it? Being able to. Yeah, it's a, it's a good, good idea to have a discount just, just to thank the customer to keep things up and running. But uh, yeah, the, the change, they now they're, they're getting successful. GCP is getting successful. Mm -hmm. So they all need to start building new data centers and that requires some sort of <laughs> vision as we're going to discuss later <laughs> absolutely right what's so, next on your list mate so on the list is again um it's aws savings plans queuing so normally it's it's an improvement to make sure that you can pay attention to your savings plans not only on the date of expiration but even a little before so if you know something is going to expire in let's say one week time at any point during that week you can queue your next savings plan so you're sure not to have a gap between the end of one savings plan and the beginning of the other that's mm -hmm. got an interesting point it's also it helps structure uh, your your approach to savings plans and uh, not just run around uh, well if, if you are making lots of save if you're doing lots of savings plans you might end up having every month or every week to do mm -hmm. checks to validate and things well here you can start having uh, agreed sessions when every three months you go through a full exercise of savings plan. So that's that's quite an interesting one. I think this is, this is an interesting one. And one of the biggest problems I've seen in, in my time in focusing more on the FinOps world and, and even back in, in the more DevOps place was people saw like reserved instances as an annual task. So you would yes, look at true. it and, and then you just mm -hmm. do them once a year. I, I wonder whether this is actually going to make people even more lazy where they can go, oh, do you know what? I'm just going to sort out my, my queue for the next one so I don't have to review it straight yeah. away so I don't have that kind of sudden rush, which, yes. which I think could be a real backward step because you do need to be regularly reviewing these things. And, and, you know, and a lot of people are still going to be trying just doing one big savings plan to cover everything when actually you know, breaking it down using it by by workload or application and and managing more of them although might seem trickier will give you far more capability to to match your your savings and commitments requirements versus your usage and uh, i just worry that people will probably use this to be lazy but we'll see oh, yeah but well, they will be which is why effectively that that's part of why we do provide the, the, what we call pay attention as a service because mm. you get the best value when you pay attention to things yeah. that's just in general and savings plans RIs, and all those good stuff are exactly there too so so yeah people are going to be later yes probably uh, yeah it's a good point moving to azure um, they have put into preview the cost allocator and we talk a lot in some of the conversations we have certainly with enterprises about kind of uh, chargeback showback models being able to prove or um, budget and, and financially allocate where spend belongs within an organization within departments uh, this new tool coming into preview allows people to start doing that um, the granularity of it I've, I've not played with yet but I, I do think it's a, a good step because for far too long 
it's been very much on the customer to work out how to do this and it's one of the services we've provided for quite a long time but actually having some tooling to to make this more possible for people in-house so you're not having to have very tricky conversations and mathematical models working out what should be charged to where based on um, on infrastructure usage and services as well not just infrastructure well yeah it definitely smoothed the uh, the conversation between tech and finance which usually is uh, i run and <laughs> i escape you so yeah that's gonna it's gonna help a lot next one is azure cost management we're still still on azure and it's the billing and it goes also now they have integrated the big interesting part is they've integrated with aws too so normally with that now it's going to be obviously uh i guess because I, I still need to look at it but i guess it's going to be very bias toward azure presentation of cost <laughs> and management and how they're going to do the mapping between the different levels is not clear to me yet but the idea of having one single tool that is capable of collecting information from two cloud providers and presenting them in a one unified way potentially with the billing that's quite an interesting thing it's still coming from one of the cloud vendors so yeah expect still that their job is to get you into their platforms so let's yeah. keep keep that by be a little cynical around that yeah and i think it's interesting because it's a bit of a, an approach and target on a lot of those SaaS platforms that exist that, that do this and i kind of wondered you know which of the cloud advisors are going to buy which one but it seems you know because they are the owners of the data at least on their own clouds they probably feel they can go and do this themselves and create that that multi-cloud um, veneer and, and viewpoint uh, but i agree it's uh, watch with some some cynicism and we'll see what happens next one aws monthly cur so the cost and usage report you can now get with a monthly granularity we we say this one because it's it's news in the in the billing world it's an odd one uh, arguably more granularity the better you know we work on on hourly you can get daily which which is okay uh, monthly i can only imagine is going to be useful if you're keeping huge amounts of data you're trying to keep a kind of long-term uh, ability to summarize and review and you're trying to reduce the amount of um, storage you're using because these reports when you're big can can get uh, can get massive but you know it's in s3 isn't it so i think it can be it will be useful also for example for, for checks checks and balance mm -hmm. that when you've done all your analysis i'm recently reviewing through all the analysis of the data and and you can see it's, it's interesting to have data which is monthly and you do all your calculation on the hourly one and you need to check that it is correct and that's an extreme positive way but it's still it's a rare thing and it's really not I find it odd that it is presented as a big feature. Yeah, it, it was, wasn't it? It kind of got the same level of launch as anything else. And, and really, it's just a new checkbox on an existing service. But fair enough. I, I imagine it's because some people have asked for it. As with so many of these things, there are services that come out and you kind of go, why? But it, you know, it'll be because someone has asked for it. Okay, so next one is a new AWS cost anomaly detector. Uh, so it's a preview, so it's not there, but the idea is that inside Cost Explorer, you will be able to enable this feature that's going to start learning, use uh, machine learning systems to, to learn how, what is your pattern of uh, spend on AWS, and then we'll create some models and for forecasting. And then if you get out of those forecasting at the service level, at the tag level, there are, there are lots of interesting levels there. It will effectively uh, provide you an information that there is an anomaly there 
And at that point, it's, it's a good insight because it might be something that you're used to, you are expecting, or if it's something you're not expecting, it's a good way to start an investigation on armed cost. It is amazing how how little changes can cause massive cost implications if there's just a slight error. Um, we do we see that. I mean, we have tooling that, that handles this for, for our customers, but it is is something you never want to see. I have to say, I have seen the, in the past that AWS have, have sometimes credited people when something has gone gone like this, but uh, it's a bit of a lose lose situation when there's an accidental anomaly that causes these kind of spikes. Uh, yeah, very often, for example, what we what I've seen in this, this like you you just said, which was a, a surprise, was when customers were trying to use a new serverless mm -hmm. kind of approach. Uh, in this case, I think it was DynamoDB, and yeah. the way they were writing the query means that in reality the span went completely through the roof. So there is a, a careful part there. We, we you always need before you try something new to check and make sure that you are on top of your cost. And this tool will probably help that. And so will help that experimentation in a little more sensible yeah. way. But it'd be interesting to see how many kind of false positives come out as well. But, you know, as long as it's not too many and it's, you know, should be decent <laughs> with the, uh, the data yeah. that they can pass through it. Uh, but that's just coming to preview, isn't it? Yes. And so the, these kind of features already exist, for example, in the, in the dashboard system of, uh, of AWS, which is called QuickSight, and there are some things there. And I have to say that very often it's quite simplistic, the way forecasts are done. So have a look, test it out, but again, put some cynicism in it. It's still a system that tries to take the past to imagine the future. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't always work. I'm going to bring up one last one really quickly, just because we yeah. saw it just before jumping on. So we won't talk about it too much because we can't pretend to know loads about it. But there is new, uh, a new reservation or commitment capability for outbound bandwidth for AWS Elemental Media Connect, uh, where you can get up to 70% off, which I assume is based on a three-year commitment. But you can do one-year commitments and you go to an amount of, um, I think the article said megabytes, but I'd have actually guessed with it being... Um, bandwidth might be megabits um, per month uh, and it's a service I've never used so I can't really speak in, in too much and I don't know if you've ever had purpose to use it Frank maybe we need to uh, for, for the podcast no. we can find a way <laughs> <laughs> I've never really used it I just remember a part of the exam question so I had to see whether it was the architecture but that's it uh, no but uh, it's going out to the internet so so you don't pay for bandwidth coming into the cloud no, so yeah, there is exactly. free but going out costs a lot of money. And for some, it's mostly, it's, it's blocking you to leave the cloud through that usually. But if you're a media company, that's just your business sending exactly. data out. And so that is why you are the kind of customer, and I understand the logic, you are the kind of customer that I want, I want you to do business on my cloud yeah. at a cheap cost, because it's not about leaving me, it's about delivering your service. So that makes total sense. And, and that's everything we saw that we thought was really interesting in the news um, from, the, from the last month. Uh, hopefully more exciting things to come out in October as well. Uh, but now I think it'd be really great to move on to something that I think is going to be quite fundamental to helping people understand more about what we're talking about. And, and, you know, even in this podcast, we've talked several times about, you know, we're going to talk about this later around why cloud providers price in the way they do. And, and hopefully this can be a really good piece of context and, and something that, I think a lot of people don't take the time to think about, but that really does help you envisage how you should use certain resources in 
in cloud. So I guess the way I always describe this, Frank, and I speak to a lot of people about it, is that the cloud providers have a big challenge, right? They have to try to predict capacity to build those new data centers. Like you said, Google's taking off. They've got to build data centers. And, you know, there's all sorts of costs, aren't there? It's, it's not just one or two costs about running a data center. It's, um, it's a big task. And, you know, so, I mean, you've got what, power space in itself, like cooling. All, all, all the kits, all the networking, all the failures also, which is not a small mm -hmm. thing to manage. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the big. UPS and all that. Exactly. So it's a huge, huge task. And so for that investment, you've got to, you've got to know you're going to make your money back. And, you know, you can just look at the market and, you know, we're a finance based company with finance background people here. And, you know, me and you are more, more techies. But one thing, <laughs> you know, we've learned is that, you know, when you, when you kind of model things out, just saying, well, we can build more data centers because the, uh, the market's growing. Well, if you look at how differently it's growing in different places, it, you suddenly realize that's not really a way that they can, they can manage it. So, right. you know, they have to, they have to prices accordingly. And um, I thought the way I, I talk through this is I, I might talk a little bit about on demand, <laughs> then uh, ask you to talk a little bit about spot and, and why, how that works and, and what it is and, and why it's priced in the way it is. And then we can both talk about commitments, which, um, which yeah. we both deal with a lot. I'll take one minute more just to say, just to highlight to people that yes, cloud providers are buying things for when they when they build something, it's for 10 years or 20 mm. years. So this is a 20 years investment. And then the hardware might be three years, but still they are renting it by the second. So there is a huge <laughs> gap between yeah. your investment planning and, and the size of that investment planning versus the reality of the information you have, they have seconds per second information by default. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's a very good point. And so, so let's, let's look at that per second um, model initially. So one of the big things that people have loved about the cloud from the very beginning is it's, it's on demand nature that you pay for what you use. And, that is absolutely brilliant. You know, if you need to suddenly scale up, I used to work with a lot of retail customers where we had Black Friday or whatever. And, you know, rather than back in the old days where you used to have to have a huge amount of uh, headroom for your busiest periods, now you don't have to have that at all. You can just horizontally scale. So make more of your web servers or whatever it is that your, your application runs with. And you can switch those on for when you need them and use auto scaling. You know, you pre-warm them, then use auto scaling to bring them back back down but if you think about this from the cloud providers point of view anyone using on demand can switch everything they've got off with a second's notice and so financially it's really very difficult for you to build a model and predict on on this because they have that challenge of having to invest for 10 20 years like you say and, and how do you you balance that out so quite sensibly you get charged a, a risk premium for the risk that they're taking as it were so you know they are taking the risk on you being able to switch off any time you're gaining the benefit of being able to switch off any time and so yeah. they charge you for that now this is worth noting that although this is their most expensive pricing model and you are kind of paying the premium for this pay-as-you-go model compared to a lot of traditional hosting services out there it's still really brilliantly priced 
Um, you know, you could, you could, for, for the comparative kind of thing, a lot of people say, oh, you know, actually I moved to the cloud and it was more expensive. But when you were in your data center, you didn't have, you know, three copies of that server running across multiple um, availability zones and data centers and different, flood, uh, you know, floodplains and all of this. So when you actually look at it comparatively, the, the price for what you're getting is still brilliant, but you're paying that bit more because you have the flexibility and AWS are taking the risk. And so if we think about this as a graph um, with kind of price along uh, one and, you know, the risk to AWS on the other and the risk to, you know, so at the top is AWS's risk, at the bottom is customer's risk and going to the right is your price. This is as far right and up as you can get because the, all the risk lives with them and therefore you're paying the highest price to get that. Although, like we've said, it's still a very reasonable price. Yes. Which also brings us to, so then spot which was the second one, which is, so spot is quite strange. If you look, it, it doesn't make initial, initially, it doesn't make sense compared to the other things because spot is still gives you a huge discount. So as we said just before, you do get a huge discount when you take most of the risk. And so the idea is that spot is here for you to consume the headspace of AWS. So yeah. when they, they always need to keep some space to be over provisioned. And the idea is that that space that's over provisioned is hardware that is not used. So let's present it with a huge discount. So you're going to get a huge discount, but you're taking all the risk. Me, AWS, I can take back that server in two minutes. So while they are playing for the on-demand price, they are, it's, AWS is taking and all the cloud providers are really taking 100% of the risk or most of the risk, not 100, but most of the risk. You pay a premium for that. When you invert the thing, that's where you get the best discount. It is when you, as a customer, you start taking the risk of things to being turned off, but they, uh, but that allows effectively the cloud vendors to breathe, to to have that availability of yes, I can overcommit because I'm still going to use that overcommitment in a way that is compatible with my on-demand, which is also why on-demand will always have the priority of a spot. Yeah, but someone starts an on-demand and there is no resources available bam we're going to turn off spot so yeah uh, and that, that's the risk you're taking right? spot yeah. absolutely that's the risk you're taking and you can create dev and lots of tools kubernetes included and other things we effectively take that into account and we allow you to minimize the impact of spot instances disappearing but yeah. that's there for deep databases <laughs> all the rdb it doesn't you cannot use spot yeah. at least for your primary instance Absolutely. It's, it's for those things that you can accept not being on all the time and, and you not having control of that. I think they give you a two minute warning, don't they? And there's some yes. stat out there that says 95% of spot instances don't get switched off. So, you know, most people run with, without any challenges. I think it's interesting if you look at Google, which is slightly different with preemptible VMs, um, there you get them for, a, for 24 hours and then they shut off and then you reinitialize it and then see if you get it again. Um, but the discount for that is, is also brilliant. I think um, we managed to save a customer in my last role about 90% by moving their dev and test to um, preemptibles. And we occasionally would have an issue where we'd have to change the, the Terraform uh, to, to use a different instance type because the ones we wanted to use were, were, were not available. But it, you know, for the saving, it was, it was well worth it. Yeah, it, it's a good thing that you do. The, the Google, by turning it off every 24 hours, forces you to manage that interruption 
Yeah. But for example, on AWS, right it's quite easy not to forget that this is part. Yeah. Or just to see the discount and all of a sudden, boom, they're out and <gasps> catastrophe. Yeah. Well, having it done 20 every 24 hours forces people to be more uh, proactive around it and mm -hmm. understand the consequences and manage them correctly. So that's really nice. I used to think that it was very, very difficult to use Spot without one of the third-party tools out there. But I have to say, it has got a lot easier to use, even for those who aren't as infrastructure as code um, based as, as you know, uh, my, my previous organizations have been. But the use is, is still not as widespread as you might imagine. But, you know, it is a cost-saving opportunity for, for people, as long as you're willing to take that, that risk. So finally... That brings us on to the idea of commitments or reservations, savings plans, uh, whatever you want to uh, call them across the different providers. They're called different things. And this is really where we think about it. We've kind of got that, that graph of your, your risk profile. And this is somewhere in the middle. And so the concept is you commit for an amount of time to something. Now, that used to be a bit more clear. It might formally be an instance or a convertible instance um, with with google it used to be uh, cpu and ram now with savings plans it can just be a spend you know a, a minute by minute spend so i'm going to spend one dollar a minute whatever it might be and what we see happen here is the more risk you take and, and by that we mean the the amount of flexibility you give up or lose uh, the better your discount so for the most flexible options which would be a uh, compute saving plan for instance where you have got a great deal of flexibility to be able to use it on all sorts of services your discount level is is the worst however if you go on the other end and um and and you go for something that is very specific an ec2 savings plan something like that where you're getting that exact machine or that that type of machine then you get a deeper discount and on the same time um, you have a, a concept of one or three years, which is what all the cloud providers work in. And for one year, you are giving up only one year of flexibility. So you get a lower discount for three years, you're giving up more. And the, the final piece of the jigsaw, and this one's really changed, hasn't it, Frank, is paying up front. Um, it used to be that pay, so you, there were three stages. So there was a full upfront, partial upfront, and, and nothing upfront. And so the all upfront or full upfront, you paid the entire cost at the beginning um mm -hmm. and so basically you were it was kind of cost of finance almost wasn't it you were you were giving them the yeah. cash and yeah. you were getting the discount for them having it at bank instead of you which means you're taking a bit more risk to be honest it looks now that amazon have got so much money in their bank um, that they're not too worried about that because yeah. on newer services the gap between the all up front and the nothing up front has shrunk significantly yes. uh, i always used to say that partial made the most sense because it was very close to the the uh, or full upfront price, yeah. um, but it's it's much much smaller gap now in in general. And I would say we see, oh, I don't know, eighty percent of our customers looking at nothing upfront these days. Yes, yes, absolutely. And so there, there are two points there. So the, the the first one is, for example, so I wanted also to go to the Microsoft part. So Microsoft for a very long time was exclusively all upfront. And all of a sudden, they moved also to the nothing upfront. So you have the mm -hmm. two extremes. You don't have a partial one. And there is no difference in cost. So the idea is if they've all completely disincentivized you to get anything full upfront, 
Yeah. Don't know if that's temporary or if it's just to help a transformation or make it simple even for internal management. But that was quite a that was quite an interesting thing. For the uh, AWS thing, it's also at the same time savings plans were absolutely brilliant. At the same time, they are complicated. They are more complicated mm -hmm. than the simple reservation that you, we used to have. So reserved instance, they are still there. They are still there for RDS, Elasticsearch, Elastic Cache, Redshift. But yeah. at the same, uh, but on the same time, savings plans is very nice. But the number you need to put there is the number with the discount applied. So you yeah. need to say, I'm going to spend $1 of discounted price, knowing that your discounted price is going to be calculated on an hourly basis. Yeah. So it is very, it's much harder for savings plans to create a covering of, let's say, 90 plus percent. You need to keep more uh, headspace, which is why I would recommend to mix and match still as much as we yeah. can uh, the things that you know are going to stay stable, go with our eyes, you know exactly what is covered, you know, and the rest that is moving, you can use savings plans. It's an interesting thing. And, and at Strategic Blue, that's exactly what we do. So that, that's the interesting part is we would create things. We will extend the availability of savings uh, of cloud providers by, for example, offering a two-year uh, commitment or 18 months, uh, providing partial upfront with different volume. So, there are things to be done there. And again, it's very much the more savings you get, the more you need to pay attention. Yeah. I and think the more it's better to be helped. I agree. I, I think you make a really interesting point. So if we're looking at why they, they price the way they do, we've, we've kind of seen that it's been about getting you know, flexibility and, and understanding so they can um, plan out their, their data center builds and their, their equipment hire more. And the fact that they're not asking for money up front now suggests they've got enough in the, in the bank. Um, the savings plans are an interesting point, aren't they? Because if you go for the really flexible ones, like say, where you don't even know your discount, um, but you know, in, in defense of AWS, that it will give it will work around the different services you use to get you the best discount you can get for that money so you know they're doing it in a way that's that's uh, customer focused and, and really positive but actually for them it, it shows that they have a different challenge now it's not about actually knowing how many of what to to um to put into the cloud it's actually purely compute capacity because they've obviously built it now in such a way that they don't mind people moving around because they can be dynamic about what infrastructure is actually being being put into the cloud um, without it really affecting them yes. but what they need is to know that people are going to be using it and they're trying to make it easier for people to commit to them um, in a way so they so they know what's what's there and, and it's this kind of concept about uh, contract book um, which as a company grows up becomes more and more important because actually your pure usage is great, but when half of it's at risk, it's not that exciting to an investor. I mean, not that anyone's going to come out and buy Amazon, but um, you know, it's, um, it, it's more interesting on a, on a financial basis to have a contract book of committed spend. And that's what they're trying to entice people into. Okay. Well, that's been Great fun and fascinating for me, Frank. Thank you very much. Um, and I hope everyone's enjoyed listening. And we look forward to uh, speaking to you again over uh, our new podcast, What's New in Cloud FinOps. Thanks very much. Bye, everyone.